So tonight we're going to look at our final lesson in this mini-series, I guess you could call it that. Um, we've been looking at the, uh, the idea or the concept of Satan fighting against you. And this evening we're going to be looking at uh, some things related to that, but a little bit differently. Uh, really focusing on the attribute, and focusing on the aspect of of uh, knowing our enemy, as we're going to look to using Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 13 as our key uh, text this evening. Uh, knowing our enemy, uh, knowing the armor that we have, and then also uh, the reason to fight against the wiles of the devil and his fiery darts, again coming from Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 13. Now, if you remember in previous lessons, we've looked at the idea of Satan fighting against us in the sense that uh, he uses opportunities to uh, discourage us, use opportunities to try to lure us to sin. We talked about the various effects of that, what happens uh, when he does those things. We, we looked at some examples of that, uh, specifically Job and a few others. But then last week we looked at uh, what happens uh, as a result of some of those things uh, talking about anxiety and worry and fear and doubt, those kinds, kinds of things. And so tonight we're going to switch gears just a little bit. I uh, was trying not to overlap too much, uh, but we want to, again, use Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10 and following, when it comes to, uh, comes to this section. I'm looking at uh, Ephesians 6, I think you have it here on the screen, actually, uh, in verse 12, it says... For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. When I say to know our enemy, we don't mean just to know different, you know, before we talked about fear and worry and things such as that. But have you ever heard the idea, or maybe heard this phrase, fighting an enemy that you cannot see? You know, sometimes people talk about that when it comes to disease. I've heard different fighters talk about it, boxers and things, how, you know, they're used to their fights being right in front of them. When they get older, they get an ailment. They say it's hard to fight something you can't see with your eyes. Uh, we look at verse 12. No doubt some of this is legitimately things that we cannot see. I mean, we cannot see Satan. Uh, we cannot see a temptation in a physical sense. I mean, people don't walk around with the word temptation across their chest. But we do see different things that reveal to us what they are. You know, a person's attributes or certain situations can reveal to us that this is a situation that could be very tempting for me, and so I need to avoid it. We look here at verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, which tells us, what does that mean? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What is flesh and blood a reference to? Right, it's not a physical fight. Uh, we, we're not going to go out and have to actually get in the fist fight with someone. Not when it comes to a spiritual battle. Uh, so we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. You ever thought about why the word rulers there is plural? Because, you know, sometimes... In the Bible, it talks about it refers to Satan as the one who is kind of the, the ruler of this world in the sense that he is over all wickedness. 
And so basically wherever wickedness is found, we can find Satan. That's kind of how I look at it. But here in verse uh, 12, he says, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Rulers can be a reference to the different ways in which I think, at least in my mind, sin manifests itself. If through people or through, um, today we might say, through different forms such as media and different forms of that includes as well. And so there's a lot of different rulers in that sense. Uh, we could be talking about, we could, I think you can reference this to maybe some actual people who are wicked, do wicked things. Or we could talk about in the sense that um, in modesty, in the way it rules over so many people, we can talk about alcoholism and the way it rules over people. We can talk about various drugs. We can talk about fornication. We can talk about adultery. We can talk about idolatry. Those are different ways in which there are rulers in, in this world today, at least in my mind. Uh, I don't think it's really a, much of a wrong place to look at that. There's a lot of powers and things we have to deal with that affect us. And then he says again, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Um, Many refer to this as just the powers that be. Sometimes they refer to this as government, uh, different aspects of government and the wickedness we have to, to try to learn to deal with or to overcome or whatever it may be. Um, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This cannot be a reference to evil in heaven. That's not what he's talking about. But the powers that are over us, you know, we look at Matthew 24, look at uh, Revelation, I believe, as well. And I think Ezekiel and Daniel refer to it sometimes as stars and things falling from heaven, being a reference to the powers that be losing their power, different rulers falling from their power, whether it be emperors or kings or governors. Uh, we have that reference, uh, the reference in Matthew 24, and again in Revelation, a few other places as well. And the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places seems to be best fitting uh, to those who are rulers, but rulers who are doing wicked and evil things. Now, we know there are those people out there that, that support and promote all kinds of different things and ideas that are wicked. Well, we have to figure out how we're going to deal with that and how we're going to uh, be able to function as a Christian in a world that is filled with sin all around, right? I mean, we, we would love to be able to go into an office and say, tell a leader, you need to stop doing this, this, and this because it's wrong and it's sinful and have them actually listen and do it. I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But that's not how it works. And so we have to decide how we're going to deal with those things. And I say all that to say this, as you look at verse 12, this is a reminder that not every battle is physical. But it's interesting as we go through this that the armor that's described they use, it's used in a sense that as a soldier going into battles, we'll talk about later with the, the helmet, the breastplate, the sword, all those types of things. Um, so know your enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What does the word, and I'm sure I'm saying this in our tangent way, but the, we think about the word wrestle, what does that imply? Struggle, a, bat, uh, a, a battle, a fight. 
You know, when we say we're fighting against something, we don't mean we're going out and we're actually beating someone up or destroying something, but it is a mental and spiritual battle. And we think about the Christian life. Do we have battles every day that are not physical in any nature whatsoever? Absolutely, right? From the time we wake up, there are things that we have to deal with. Things enter our mind, things are happening throughout the day as you can figure out these different processes, and we have to learn how, figure out how we're going to deal with those things. And so it's interesting that if you look at verse 12, again, this focus is primarily on things that have nothing to do with being physical in nature. But our powers and principalities, the darkness of this age that we have to deal with. As we've said many times before, what does darkness refer to in a spiritual sense? Evil, sin, iniquity, transgression, all the bad things, right? I mean, that's primarily in the Bible, darkness is, is reference to sin, with a few exceptions, but for the most part, it's a reference to sin, and the light being a reference to everything that's good and righteous. And so, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, if darkness is a reference to sin, then we're talking about rulers of Sin, in this age, reference to time or a period which you're living in. Are, those, are there those out there today who are promoting sin? That's an easy question to answer, isn't it? Yes, they are. They would disagree with that and say, no, we're not. We're promoting rights and all kinds of other things that are out there. Which the Bible, if you notice, the only right that it talks about is the right that the Christian has. Many times that's the reference that's used. You know, the Christian has rights or, and has an inheritance uh, referencing salvation and the blessings of being a Christian. Nothing to do with uh, the right to, to do sinful things. And so, if you look at verse 12, talking about knowing your enemy, there's a lot of them. There's not one singular enemy. I guess you could say Satan is our singular enemy, but he, is, he uses many tools. And so when we walk out here, we don't see Satan and have to decide how we're going to fight against him today, but we see his tools, and we'll talk about more later, all around us. Now, this really brings us uh, to our next point, looking at knowing your armor. There's, and I like, I like watching some more movies and things like that, and on one, one miniseries I watched, it was during uh, the First World War, World War, and they're getting ready to get their paratroopers, they're loading up, and before he gets on his plane, the soldier looks down at all the stuff he has to carry, he names off probably 30 things. And he says, that doesn't include this, this, and this, and this. But what was interesting was he knew everything that he was supposed to have. All that stuff he lists off, he says, how can you even stand up with this stuff? There's so much there. Actually, they had to have help, someone help all the soldiers up before they get up on the plane. We list off all these things, and he knew exactly what he was supposed to have. I, have, I can't remember what all they were, because there was a lot of them. But he knew exactly what he was supposed to have. As a Christian, it shouldn't be any different. We know exactly what we're supposed to have. Looking at Ephesians chapter 11, we have this, and we're going to break some of these verses apart, as you see there, verse uh, you know, 11a. We're going to split this up. But he says, put on the whole armor of God. It would be foolish as a soldier to go out to battle 
leaving a piece of your armor behind, right? Because if you do, that part is exposed. If you get your breastplate, guess what's exposed? Your biggest part of your body. If you get your sword, what are you doing? You're going to be hiding a lot because you can't play offense now, right? You can't defend yourself with, without a sword. You can defend your body with armor, but you can't defend yourself uh, from an oncoming uh, enemy. And then in verse 13 and following, he begins to list several things here. He mentions our faith, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit here. Our faith, our knowledge of God, and His Word is our defense. He says there in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God. Again, the second charge, you take up or put on the armor of God. And then he gives the reason why, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now, it references the evil day, and some, I think, would probably misapply this to the judgment day. I think the evil day, in all reality, is any day that you're tempted by, tempted by Satan, which is every day, right? And so what do we do? Every time that temptation or that trial comes in, we are prepared. And so we look at verse 13, we are prepared. He says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Having done all is reference to doing everything that we possibly can to withstand the wickedness around us. On the judgment day, don't we want to be able to say that I did everything I knew how, the very best of my ability to withstand everything that came my way? doesn't mean we're successful every single day because we're human beings. We have free will. We can choose to sin because that's what God has given us that ability to choose. We're not robots. But we, can, we want to be able to say that we have done everything that we are able to do to stand in that evil day, as he says in verse 13, and having done all to stand. I want you to think about this for a moment. Have there been days where we haven't done everything we could to withstand the devil and his temptations? Yeah. I think that's a fair question, a fair answer, right? Yeah, there's some days we haven't done everything that we could. Are there those who we care about and love that are not doing all they could to withstand the, the evil day, the trials and temptations. Having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, and then he tells us how we're able to stand when that evil day or all those evil things come upon us. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith. And then in verse 17, he says here, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All those things, are they literally, are they literal pieces of armor? No. How do you gird yourself with truth? I don't have a belt at home that says truth on it. I don't have a big breastplate that says righteousness on it. They are attributes and characteristics of the Christian. And some of them are things that we gain and that we keep. For instance, truth. We gain truth, we learn what truth is, and we keep it. It's part of what we are. That girding yourself with truth, 
It becomes part of who we are. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith. Verse 17, And the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's pretty clear. The Word of God is our sword. You'll notice there he mentions numerous aspects, right? Girding yourself, the breastplate, shodding your feet, having that shield, and some some shields are bigger than others, so when I picture the shield of faith, I don't picture a little dinky one. I picture one that you put a lot of uh, soldiers, depending on what area you're looking at and what uh, nation you're looking at, would have shields that they could hold up here and it would reach to the ground. I, mean, that's, I want a shield I can hide behind, right? The shield of faith. I don't think we're talking about a little one. We're talking about a massive one. The shield of faith, and then the helmet protecting your head, and then your offensive weapon as well, there being the sword. You notice what's not mentioned? There's nothing mentioned for the back, is there? Now, I've never, now, when I heard that the first time, because I'm, I didn't think of that on my own, I thought, that's true. It mentions the breastplate, it doesn't mention the back. Mentions the sword, girding yourself with truth, the helmet. If you if you leave out armor, I know some would argue, well, the breastplate would actually send around to your back. That's not always the case. Why would you leave out something for the back? What would that indicate? When would your back be exposed? Only when you turn and ran away, right? Only when you turn tail and run away. At which you think if you want to teach your soldiers something, you tell them, by the way, you don't have anything protecting your back, so you should always be facing forward. Uh, that's where you're, you're going to be protected the most. And so when we have things coming our way, whatever trial it may be, sin or temptation or difficulty, all those things we've talked about already before, this armor we have described here for us protects us so long as we are keep, keeping ourselves looking forward. You know, it's kind of like Peter, who we talked about many times before. Peter gets picked on, but what did he do? He walked out on the water to Christ. He looked around. He saw the storm. And he began to sink. You know, he's not the only one who made mistakes in the Bible when it came to following God. Job wasn't perfect. The Bible calls him blameless. It doesn't say he's perfect. And we, the King James used the idea of perfect, but it's the idea he was, he was not sinless. Jonah ran from God, or tried to. Moses didn't always listen to God. That's why he didn't go into the promised land, right? And so we go on and on. David, I mean, man after God's own heart, same as Bathsheba, numbered the people, did, did several things that were not in pleasing to God. Because what happened? They turned, in a spiritual sense, somewhere else. And here, as we look at Ephesians 6, 13 and, and 13 and following, this armor is designed to the point where your safest position is going to be looking forward. Your breastplate, your helmet, your sword, which is defensive or offensive, depending on how you want to look at it. All those things are designed to keep you looking forward. And you are covered, literally the Bible talks about here, it describes in such a way that you are covered from head to toe, right? From the helmet to shodding your feet. Which shows you the foresight of and, and the protection that God provides for the Christian. 
And you notice what things they're girded with. Yeah, he talks about a helmet and a breastplate. But notice each of them have a description following it. Girding your waist with truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Referencing uh, not only the knowledge of, of the truth, the knowledge of the gospel. And prepared to defend it. Prepared to proclaim it. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Faith is our shield. And then the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. All using literal things being applied with a uh, spiritual aspect. Faith, salvation, truth, knowledge, all those things. And when we know our armor, when we know what our salvation is, for example, and when we know our salvation is, is secure in Christ. As we look here, sorry, verse 17. The helmet of salvation. If we know our, we should know as a Christian we are secure in Christ so long as we are faithful to Him. Therefore, that helmet of salvation has no reason to go, to go anywhere. When we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is when we know it, we're able to defend it. When I say know it, I don't mean you memorize the Bible A to Z, but if you, if you can do that, of course, that'll help. But the more you know, know it, the better you can use it, right? I mean, the more you know your sword or your weapon, the better you are with it. The more you know the Bible, the better you are with it. Uh, going back to verse 14, the truth is part of our defense. We're out there with faith, truth and faith. We know the truth, we know what it is, we're able to defend it, goes, which leans towards that preparation, the gospel of peace. Our faith being our shield. And think about everything he said already. This obviously is not talking about a blind faith or a leap of faith, but the faith based upon the truth, based upon the Word of God, verse 17, and the gospel of peace, verse 15, right? And so all these things cover us from head to toe, in the front, but not in the back. Now, this is where I really want to spend the rest of our time, is looking at uh, the reasons to fight against the wiles of the devil and his fiery darts. We have the tools. We have, uh, we, we know our enemy. We know our armor. We have the tools. But the reason why, you know, a lot of movies, we talk about, war movies especially, there's always at least one soldier who's always questioning why they're even there. Vietnam was, you know, there were soldiers questioning it overseas and during the World War I, World War II, why are we here? There's always soldiers to pick it up, asking, why are we here? Well, when it comes to asking the question, why are we fighting this fight, we have to think about and remember some reasons why we fight against the devil. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, going back this time to verse 11, the latter part of verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, Ephesians 6 verse 11. Remember the first part tells us to put on the whole armor of God. The wiles of the devil. What is wiles a reference to? I mean, you can use a lot of different definitions and not be wrong. What is, you think of the wiles of the devil, what comes to your mind? Schemes. Schemes, 
definitely. His little plan, schemes is a good way to think about it because he is definitely a, uh, a schemer. What else? Tools of the devil. We're going to go into broad sense. Uh, the schemes of the devil. Oh, I really like that one. Um, do what? Craftiness. Craftiness, yes. Uh, craftiness, deceitfulness. Going back to Genesis with Adam and Eve. Uh, the craftiness there. I think about also in Genesis, I think about the boldness of Satan. And yeah, remember what Satan was doing in the garden? Uh, or there was Eve. You remember... Really, because you have Eve being tempted, and then, of course, Adam. And then you have God depicted as walking in the garden. Doesn't it show that God and Satan are, people want to put in physical sense, are not that far apart? Usually in battle, you don't get very close unless it's absolutely necessary. You fight from a distance, right? You fight behind a bunker or whatever it is. But I think about Satan's temptation with Eve that showed his boldness. I mean, he, it's creation, it's Adam and Eve, you're not that far removed, and there he is. I think you also say in, in a very real sense that Satan wasn't scared, was he? I think he understands, to much, much as we can possibly understand it, Satan understands who God is. He just rejects it to put it in a very broad sense. But his attack against Eve is very bold. The attack against Christ in Matthew 4, you could say that's even more bold. I'm the Son of God. He knew exactly who he was talking to. He was, talk, he was replied to three times before he ever left. That tells you how bold Satan is. He tempted Christ three times before he finally left. Now, Well, in my mind, I think Satan tempted him a lot more than just Matthew 4. Uh, with Pharisees and others, I think his patience, you could say, was tested by, by Satan. But I say that to say that Satan is very bold. He is a schemer. He is a planner. He is a deceiver. Uh, Peter uh, refers to him, he refers to him as, as the father uh, of all lies. Uh, he's deceitful, right? Revelation refers to him as, as, uh, as, as that dragon. Uh, referencing, I think, really his, his various attributes of attacking and being very dangerous. And so the wiles of the devil can be a very broad sense, but why do we fight against the devil? Because if we don't, what happens if the Christian just says, I'm not going to resist? What happens? You're going to lose. You're going to go down. And when the Christian loses, when the Christian goes down, in a spiritual sense, what happens? We fall from grace, and we lose heaven, we lose salvation. When the Christian gives up, when the Christian loses, they lose not just that battle, because if they say, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to do it anymore, which we look around today, people are doing that all the time, they lose heaven. And then they lose fellowship with God, fellowship with Christians. They lose, you know, forgiveness of sin. They lose forgiveness of God, the mercy, the grace, all those things, all those spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, verse 3, that are in Christ. So when a Christian says, I give up, they give up probably, I think, a lot more than we ever realized until the day of judgment. And so for that reason, can, should the, why do we fight against Satan? 
Because in all reality, there is no other option. Because if we don't fight, we lose, and we lose everything. Verse 11 says that you may be able to stand. Now, you think about that phrase, be able to stand. What does that imply? Able to stand. I think there's a strength in there. Mm -hmm. It tells us, able to stand shows we are able to, all things you said, you're correct, able to to survive through that, right? Able to stand, able to endure, able to get through that. And what's interesting is we go to Matthew 4 a lot, and there's something wrong with that because Christ endured, endured through all that. But other men did as well. You know, the Apostle Paul endured. Most of, again, most of his writings were from, from prison. Didn't seem to faze him. In fact, to use his words, he says, none of these things move me, which is pretty impressive. And so being able to stand shows that we are able to win battle after battle after battle if we use the armor we have given to us. Brother Paul? You know, one of the things that passage in Ephesians 6 there is the transition to that idea of standing from the idea of walking. Because Ephesians uses the word walk multiple times. Like, for example, or Paul uses the word walk multiple times. Chapter 2, verse 2, he walked in time past, he walked according to the course of this world. Um, you know, but, and then chapter, let me see, Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation, worthy of your call. 4.17, walk not as other Gentiles walk. 5.2, walk in love. 5.8, walk as children of light. 5.15, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And then after that, though he doesn't use the word walk, he tells us how to walk in relationships, like how to walk in your marriage, how to walk as in, in parenthood, how to walk as an employer or an employee, and you know, children, how to walk at, uh, with your parents. Um, but then he makes that transition because sometimes you are, it, it's almost like the idea that sometimes you're not going to be able to be making progress forward walking. You're just going to have to stand and hold your ground mm -hmm. and just fight right where you are. Yeah. You know, not saying you're quitting anything else. You're not quitting. But it's, 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 I think it's significant that the Holy Spirit chose a different word from walking, walking, walking than standing. Mm -hmm. Because in other words, there you are in the midst of the fight at that moment and you have to hold your ground right there. Mm -hmm. And you can't, like you said earlier, you can't turn around, you know, because you'll be exposed. I mean, that's a, that's a known tactic in, in almost any kind of fighting situation. To never give your back to yeah. the opponent. You never give your back to the opponent. You've lost if you do almost. Virtually every time. Mm -hmm. And that's, so I mean, when he says stand and then take all these things in that stand, you know, it, this is a serious battle and don't give up your ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you think about how many times, I mean, throughout the Bible, we're talking about prophets or New Testament with apostles or disciples in general. How many times they had to stand their ground? Uh, you know, whether it be false teachers or accusations. And to your point, it wasn't. You know, standing is not going backwards. You know, going backwards is going backwards. 
Uh, and that only happens when we give up. And so there's nothing wrong with standing and defending. Because I think sometimes, and to your point, we think if we're not moving forward, then we're not progressing. But sometimes you just got to fight and stand your ground. I mean, some of the most, some of the most well-known battles in history, to use a physical battle, are those things that lasted for days. Those are the ones that are well-known, uh, where people, they, they endured, they endured, and finally they pressed on and moved forward. And so standing, standing our ground is definitely not uh, spoken of in a negative sense. And, and keeping this idea of, of reasons we're fighting against the wiles of the devil, I've here noted Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3. Um, whenever, you know, as we try to do, our, uh, to do our best to stand our ground and to move forward when possible, we have to remember why we're doing it. I, I know the why is a big, is a big reason behind everything we do. You know, why do we attend services? Why do we go to Bible class? Why do we go to worship? Why do we do this? Why do we do this? In Proverbs chapter 15, I think about this, looking at verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And sometimes we, we, hear, we sing that song, you know, will the Lord find us watching or waiting? You know, the Bible reveals numerous times that God is aware of our actions and our life, what we're currently doing. And when we, when we remember that, it can help us be encouraged, okay, what do I want God to see when He looks down upon me? And in verse 3, he references here this idea that he sees everyone, not just the Christian, but the, the non-Christian as well, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. And so why do we fight against the devil? Because we want God to see by our actions, by our defense, that we are wanting to avoid and stay away from sin and temptation to sin. If he sees us backing up and giving ground, that shows our lack of uh, faithfulness to him. Um, I got ahead myself here. The latter part of verse 16, Ephesians 6. And I know I've cut several of these apart, but they serve a purpose here. Ephesians 6, verse 16, the latter part says here, With which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Some of the armor of God and the shield of faith, uh, referencing there in Ephesians 16 able to quench all the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one. So you have the wiles of the devil, back in verse 11. Now you have the fiery darts of the wicked one. And there's a lot of war movies and battle scenes where you see guys literally take bow and arrows, and they're shooting arrows that are on fire into their enemies, trying to, of course, inflict whatever harm they possibly can. And the shield of faith here is reference to being able to quench those things, it is to keep you from harm. But, you know, when does a shield work? Only if you use it, right? Nothing works unless you use it. The helmet doesn't work unless you put it on. The breastplate doesn't work unless you put it on. The shield doesn't work unless you hold it up and keep it in front of you. And so the fiery darts of the wicked one will only be quenched when we use that shield of faith. And again, when we talk about faith sometimes, people they kind of look at it like it's a blind faith, and we find as we look through the Bible, there's no such thing as a blind faith. No one ever went to heaven or was even pleasing the sight of God on a blind leap type of faith. I am convinced Noah did not build the ark on a blind leap of faith. He was convinced and convicted that the rain was going to come, and that's why he built that ark, as he was commanded to do so. Uh, it wasn't just a blind leap. Um, 
The Lord is looking upon us, going back to Proverbs 15, verse 3, those who fight for faithfulness and those who do not, He sees both. But also think about, and these won't be on the screen, Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. I say that to say that heaven will be worth it. Revelation chapter 21. Uh, let me get over there. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All those things in life that we, you know, this catches a lot of those things that we don't like, are summarized here, and they're put in the category of former things. All those things, not just the pain, but things that cause us pain. Sometimes there's a physical pain, there's the things that just cause us physical or, or emotional pain, or, or that's even spiritual pain because we worry about people. About this Death, the sorrow, the crying, no more pain. They're all categorized as the former things. He says every tear, will, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Heaven is described in such a way so that we, as we use the term sometimes, finite beings, can try our very best to understand what heaven is going to be like. Because if any of these things existed in heaven, that's not really heaven, is it? If we have sorrow in heaven, it can't be heaven. If it's, there's, no, there's no rest, there's no peace, if there's tears, that doesn't sound like heaven. Instead, heaven is referred to as a place of rest, a place where we sing praises to God, a place where we're there with God, with Christ, and all the other faithful. That's one of the reasons why we fight the fight that we do, because we know what is waiting beyond. You know, people have talked about numerous times, and they've, I've heard it apply to different characters in the Bible. Uh, you're talking about Abraham or Moses or Isaac or whatever. They use the phrase, the, through the eye of faith, which means they're things they knew were going to happen, but they couldn't literally see them with their eyes. They knew they were going to come, and so their faith moved them to act and to live in such a way because they knew what was going to come in the future. And when Christ talks about how there are those who, who would love to see what they have seen and heard what they have heard and all those types of things, he's referencing some of those very same people. Because I'm sure Moses would have loved to have been there when Christ was on the earth. I'm sure Abraham would have loved to have been there when Christ was on the earth because they were, they were pushing people towards, ultimately towards that end of the Messiah coming. Daniel, Ezekiel, all those guys... When he says, there are those who would love to have seen what you have seen, heard what you have heard, that's what he's referencing, all those men of old. And what's sad was those who he was talking to were those who were denying he was the Son of God in general anyway. Um, heaven is worth it. And the last verse I want us to notice here is Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter uh, 28. Looking at verses 19 and 20, he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Go and make disciples. Why do we fight the good fight of faith? That's what we're talking about. It's because there are other souls who are out there 
They have no idea that that battle even exists. They have no idea that their souls are at stake. They have no idea, that they, no realization that Satan is wanting them to stay exactly where they are for the sole purpose of them losing their eternal soul. And so why we fight a good fight of faith? Because there are others out there who are losing that battle and don't even know it. And unless something changes, then their life will be one that is lost in a very, very real uh, spiritual sense. So some reminders before we close this evening. We need to know our enemy. We need to know our armor. And we need to know our reason for fighting. Because when we do that, we can overcome Satan. What's interesting, we have to realize that we fight numerous battles, but very rarely does a battle begin and end on the same day. You know, we have a term for that in modern day. We call it a conflict. We don't call it a battle. We don't call it a war. It's a conflict. But rarely do our spiritual battles begin one day and end the same day. They last sometimes for years. And but when we have the armor that God provides, it doesn't matter how long the battle wages, how long the war continues on, we can have the ultimate victory. If we will keep those pieces of armor that God provides for us on at all times. Because as soon as we start taking things off, as soon as we get comfortable, that's when danger comes in. Okay, any comments or questions this evening. All right, then I'm going to offer our closing prayer.